Today is January 22nd, 2021, and Joseph R. Biden Jr. is now the 46th president of the United States. Welcome back, Split the Difference friends, and Split the Difference family to another fantastic episode, arguably the best episode that we have done thus far in our podcasting journey. If you are new with us, welcome in. I hope you are ready to take up a seat and have a great time as we look at stuff from the left, we look at stuff from the right, and we do our best to find that sweet, sweet truth that lies right there in the middle. Today is going to be a little bit different because we're primarily going to be only covering one story today, and that is the inauguration of Joe Biden as the 46th president of the United States of America. Here, that happened this week on Wednesday. We're going to kind of dive into all of it, look at both sides of the aisle, what they're saying, some of the highlights that I felt like were there, and then, you know, of course, talk through some of the big points in Biden's inauguration speech. So, without further ado... Let's hop on in to our first and only story of the day, story number one. So, uh, as all of you know, Joe Biden was inaugurated on Wednesday in what was probably one of the weirder inauguration events that has ever happened in the history of our country. And the reason why we're going to focus on this solely is because, obviously, it is a very, very big deal in politics, and it only happens once every four years. I very rarely only have one topic on my podcast, and I felt like this is a pretty good one to have a topic on if you're only going to do one uh, for the podcast. So, um, basically, I, like I said in, our pod, in my podcast earlier this week and earlier just now, the, po- the, the inauguration was just different, right? Because of the extenuating circumstances surrounding this inauguration, like the Capitol riots a couple weeks ago, which we will talk about a little bit as well, uh, the coronavirus pandemic, there were not a lot of people there. There were probably a little bit less than a thousand people that actually attended, uh, and there were 25,000 National Guard troops stationed in and around Washington, D.C. So I think the stage was set for it to be a little bit different, a little bit weird, and Joe Biden... I honestly do think in a lot of ways really rose to the occasion. It was it was a pretty memorable inauguration, not just because of all the, I think, weird extenuating circumstances, but Joe Biden is also the oldest president that we've ever had. And Kamala Harris, as many of you know, is the first minority and woman vice president that we've ever had. So uh, we obviously had a minority president in Barack Obama, but she, you know, Kamala Harris absolutely made history and kind of breaking through a little bit of that gr- glass ceiling, coming in as the vice president. Um, and she was obviously ecstatic. A lot of people around the country were very, very happy and excited to see it. And in a lot of ways, I think that it did kind of point out a lot of the racial reconciliation this country has gone through over the past 50, 100, and 400 years, which we will also talk a teensy bit about there at the end as well. Um, but it was, it was just a very interesting ceremony. It, uh, it, it was, it was different than ones that we've had in the past. I feel like most of the inaugurations that I've watched, there are a lot of people there cheering. Everybody is excited. It's like this big, big moment in, in America where we kind of all come together and talk and talk about what's going on, you know, kind of anxiously anticipating what the next four years are going to be like. And for this one, it, it, was somewhat like that, but we're in a very, very weird and a very different time. Our country is incredibly divided, especially along very partisan lines. Donald Trump was not there. The previous sitting president was not there to be able to shake hands and, and watch that 
uh, transfer of power actually take over. Um, it, and so it, it made for things being a, a little bit... Uh, Maybe not the norm is the best way to put it. But um, before we get into to kind of like the meat of all went the, all that kind of like went on in Biden's inauguration speech and all that stuff, I uh, kind of want to talk through a couple things that I thought were just kind of funny and kind of interesting because we live in a culture that is pretty much just centered around memes nowadays. There were plenty that came out of yesterday, and the first was Bernie Sanders. So many of you know Bernie Sanders. He is the senator out of Vermont. Very, very popular. He actually ran against and primaried against Joe Biden and lost the lost the primaries against Biden for the Democratic nomination. Um, he is very, very loud, very outspoken, very, very rambunctious. Um, he is also very old as well. Um, but he has this incredibly devout kind of coalition around him that he kind of pushes that like democratic socialism that a lot of the younger Americans really gravitate towards. And for some reason, (laughs) Bernie Sanders was just sitting on a chair with this just kind of regular grayish overcoat and his arms were folded and he just had these like hand crocheted mittens on. Absolutely blue up the internet with these mittens. I don't know why it was such a big deal. There were all these people that were on there saying that he was dressed like the inauguration was just a part of his day and not the whole day. Like he was just there because he got invited, but he's got other stuff and other places to be afterwards. (laughs) And uh, the funny thing is, is that I actually kind of did a little bit of research and I saw a couple things. I don't, it's tough to verify a lot of this stuff on the internet, but from what I read, those mittens were actually given to him by a teacher in Vermont that kind of like sews these little mittens and stuff. It's kind of like a little side gig. And she sewed them for him and gave them to him at one of his rallies or at some event. And he now wears them. And it absolutely exploded on the internet. And I am sure that this poor teacher has thousands and thousands of people <laughs> that are now asking her to, and, you know, if she's taking orders for them to get some knitted mittens like Bernie Sanders. And uh, it was it was a really kind of a funny moment because it's just this old guy that's just sitting up on like this little folding chair and he kind of looks like a curmudgeon and he's not doesn't look like he's super happy like just standard Bernie Sanders stuff right and uh, he's wearing these little mittens and everybody starts talking about it um, so it was extremely funny there were memes all over the place over the past day or two talking about Bernie Sanders and his mittens uh, the second thing that I thought was I guess somewhat funny, but also kind of interesting was all of the talk around Michelle Obama. So if any of you have ever been on the internet before, you have probably seen people just rant and rave about Michelle Obama. She is for some reason like the living embodiment of like what feminism loves. And obviously a lot of it I think has to do with the fact that she's a black woman and she does carry herself very well. She's incredibly intelligent. She's very well spoken. Um, but anything that Michelle Obama does, the entirety of the left side of the aisle just melts from excitement. And so Michelle Obama shows up to the inauguration I mean, decked out in this like all this like purple. It's not really a suit, I guess. I, I don't know. She's just in like full purple. She's got on like this big gold belt, and everybody on the left just blew up about how good Michelle Obama looks. Like she's my first lady forever. Like oh, I just love Michelle Obama. Everything she does is great. She looks so fly right now, and it's so interesting to me because 
everyone spent the past four years, like I literally have not heard one person in the media or on the left side of the aisle say one thing nice about Melania Trump. Never once. Like everybody craps on Melania Trump. I don't, obviously, it's because she's married to Donald Trump and they just hate him. But it's crazy to me because Melania Trump is a literal supermodel always decked out in the finest clothes, like has her own fashion lines, like very, very beautiful, very well-spoken as well. She speaks like five languages. She's incredibly intelligent. Very, 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 like she's just a good person. She's got nonprofits that she runs. Like she's, you know, did a whole bunch while she was first lady. But nobody ever talks about that because they hate her because they hate Donald Trump. So it was just so weird to me and so interesting to see how, I forgot, honestly, over the past four years, how much, especially the media, like, gravitate towards and always just, like, gas up the first ladies when they like them, especially Michelle Obama. And I forgot that the media did that because they just have never done that with Melania Trump. If anything, they just ripped on her all the way through the four years that she was in the White House with Donald Trump. So... (laughs) Uh, really, really interesting to kind of see the weird dichotomy there, like just the differences in how the media even pay attention to the president's wives. It's so, so weird and interesting to me. So um, the left and the right obviously had some very, very mixed views kind of about what happened with the inauguration. But for the most part, actually, even on the right side of the aisle, I saw from a lot of the opinion articles and the stuff that I read, even the right was somewhat hopeful listening to Joe Biden's speech. Um, I actually read a lot of right-leaning pundits that talked a good about a, a good bit about how refreshing it was to actually hear a president that spoke without saying something crazy and said something without them feeling feeling like they have to defend what he said or at least kind of just shake their head and be like, "Oh, come on." And I was really surprised about uh, the amount of people on the right that were somewhat encouraged by the address and the ceremony as a whole. Um Many uh, many pundits that I listened to and read through on the right were talking about how a, a lot of Biden's pushes for compromise and unity, you know, that they really legitimately do hope that they come to fruition. And I think in a lot of ways, like, of course, that's what Joe Biden is, is pushing for, and that's what he's really leaning into as much as possible. But I think in order for that to happen, he's going to need the buy-in from a lot of these far right-leaning conservatives And it really seemed like from a lot of the different articles and a lot of the different people that I read on the right, they were kind of somewhat hopeful of that actually happening. So um, I don't know. I was really interested because I really really felt like I thought that the right was just going to absolutely destroy everything that Joe Biden said, but he carried himself pretty well. The left, obviously, was completely ecstatic over everything, totally overjoyed. And you can see that in the coverage of all of it, like, If you listen to anything by MSNBC or even like Chris Wallace on Fox News, who normally for the most part is a pretty level-headed guy, like he hates Donald Trump, but he definitely is still a Republican and like still has right-leaning tendencies. Chris Wallace said it made in a statement that it was the best inaugural address that he had heard in his lifetime. I'm like, what? Really? I mean, it wasn't bad, but the best in your lifetime? Chris Wallace is pretty old. Like that's a, that is an emphatic statement. So the entirety of the media, which we all know is very left-leaning and liberal was just, I mean, all over this, it was like the dream come true. It was almost like you could kind of feel the sigh of relief from all of the media. Like, 
oh man, our work here is done. You know, we worked so hard for the past four years to just destroy and blackball every single thing that Donald Trump did. And now we can just take a little bit of a, of a reprieve. We can take a breath because Joe Biden is on our side and he's going to be boring and there's not going to be a lot going on. So it's going to be easier for us. So really kind of interesting to listening to the coverage. So, um, with all of that, let's go ahead and hop in now to the inauguration speech because that is definitely the most important portion of the inauguration as a whole. So we're going to listen through uh, a, a little bit longer uh, of a video than we normally do, but this kind of entails a lot of the highlights of the inauguration speech. So let's listen to this now. And at this hour, my friends, democracy has prevailed. So now... On this hallowed ground where just a few days ago, violence sought to shake the Capitol's very foundation, we come together as one nation, under God, indivisible, to carry out the peaceful transfer of power as we have for more than two centuries. Few people in our nation's history have been more challenged or found a time more challenging or difficult than the time we're in now. Once-in-a-century virus that silently stalks the country has taken as many lives in one year as America lost in all of World War II. Millions of jobs have been lost. Hundreds of thousands of businesses closed. A cry for racial justice some 400 years in the making moves us the dream of justice for all will be deferred no longer. A cry for survival comes from the planet itself, a cry that can't be any more desperate or any more clear. And now, a rise of political extremism, white supremacy, domestic terrorism that we must confront and we will defeat. To overcome these challenges, to restore the soul and secure the future of America, requires so much more than words. It requires the most elusive of all things in a democracy, unity. With unity, we can do great things, important things. All right. So uh, that's Joe. A little bit of tidbits of some of the stuff that Joe talked about there in his inaugural address. So there's a lot to unpack in this, and we're going to do our best to kind of get through it uh, as much as possible. Uh, but it's clear, and I think I'll highlight, I think, four important things. The first is a need for unity. The second is climate. He mentioned the climate a good bit. The three is the coronavirus. And fourth is the ra is racial reconciliation. Okay, so we're going to walk through, try to break down these four topics that he hit on more heavily than anything else in his inaugural address. So first, unity. We've talked about this a lot over the past couple of weeks, so I won't belabor this point, or basically beat a dead horse here. Um he pointed out the incredibly obvious elephant in the room, right? And that this country is divided very, very heavily along partisan lines right now. He never said Trump's name because he didn't have to. Donald Trump wasn't there. And there's a reason why Donald Trump wasn't there. When Joe Biden stood up and he said that democracy had prevailed, right? It's because in a lot of ways, 
democracy has been undermined a lot over the past two months. And that's not a partisan thing. That's not a that's not a me trying to take the left side of the aisle type thing. That is democracy has in a lot of ways been attacked by a sitting president over the past two months. And as a result, there's been incredibly deep grooves and deep rivets that have been torn into the fabric of our country right now. And you saw a lot of that bubble up with the Capitol riots uh, last two weeks ago. And uh, we're go- there has to be some sort of change. There has to be something that allows us to move forward. And Joe Biden's answer to that is very simply unity. So it was, I, I will be honest with you, it was incredibly refreshing hearing Joe Biden stand up and talk and having a president not stand up in front of a microphone, bashing a lot of people, calling people's names, calling people names, call, saying something absolutely outrageous, uh, tweeting something before or after that was going to start some type of gigantic firestorm, right? Like, Biden has never been an incredibly eloquent speaker, right? But I have to say, he really did do a decent job. He came in, and there were times where it was obvious that he was very, very purposefully wanting to show this this measure of calm. And that's something that I think that our country desperately needs right now. I don't agree with all of the policies that Biden is going to push. Biden is still very much a Democrat. But from what I see, and honestly from what a lot of the stuff that I'm seeing on the right is, is we need this calm right now. There has to be some measure of, all right, let's take a deep breath. Let's sit back and let's actually figure out what it looks like to have unity again because it's 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 been a while. It's been a little while. Um, there were times on the campaign trail where I thought that, you know, looking at Biden giving a speech, I thought that man was about to just pass out and keel over right there on stage. There are plenty of times where especially Joe Biden's like mental capacity and stuff like that were called into question on the campaign trail. I think that the, the inaugural speech on Wednesday, though, kind of put the nail in the coffin on a lot of those theories and stuff like that. Like Biden actually did a very decent job. And you know, it's not like it's a speech I think that is going to be remembered in a hundred years. Right. I think it will be like the vast majority of other inaugural speeches every now and then you have an inaugural address that comes out that like, you know, has incredibly famous quotes like JFK's, you know, don't ask what your country can do for you, but you know what you can do for your country type things. I don't think that Biden is going to have anything like that, but it was almost like he stood up there and was like, you know, just this one person that was like, you know what, things are going to be all right. Things are going to be okay. And we can do it. We can push through it. And I think that that was something kind of refreshing to a large portion of the country. Um, So uh, the second big thing that he talked about climate. So this is one of the things I think that probably stirred up the most stuff on the right side of the aisle, which Side note, okay, before we really dive into this, I have always been really confused and also amazed by the conservative response to climate change. Maybe this is just something I need to do more research into. I've, I've read a lot about it. I've tried to watch a lot of videos and stuff on it. But you would think that the conservative evangelical Christians of America would be the ones that were in the front of the line wanting to do whatever was possible in order to help conserve and manage the world that the Lord gave them, right? So it's always been really, really confusing to me when you hear conservative evangelical Republican Christians that are like, 
Climate change is a hoax. Climate change is not real at all. Uh, the world is not being uh, is not heating up, contrary to what the vast majority of science is saying right now, and contrary to what a lot of the deforestation that's happening all throughout the world that's happening in the United States, contrary to the incredible amount of pollution that's happening in the United States or in the across the world, contrary to the gigantic amount of fossil fuels that are being born being burned every single day you would think that it was the people that you know believe that god gave them and created the world for them to cultivate and to nurture that would be the people that are like forget the corporations we need to do everything we can in order to be able to save our planet if we have to but and you know obviously that's an incredibly nuanced subject right like there's a reason why the conservatives feel the way they do, and I totally understand the argument behind why you would not want to destroy the economy that you've created in the United States in order to be able to decentral or in order to be able to centralize power within the federal government through regulation and legislation all behind this facade of like climate change, right? Totally get that argument. But there are a lot of people that are on the right side of the aisle that still legitimately do not believe that the climate is changing at all and also still legitimately don't think that there's anything that needs to be done. Very, very interesting to me. So anyways, uh, he made it very clear that this was going to be one of the top priorities in his administration. He released a thing saying that he was hopping back into the Paris Climate Accords, which honestly, personally, I think are just total crap, right? For the most part, the Paris Climate Accords are basically just a whole bunch of first world countries sitting around and trying to make themselves feel better about themselves. Whatever. But uh, Biden has stated multiple times, that this he wants this to be a big part of his administration. He wants to come through and he wants to change the world uh, for for the better through uh, policies that would affect and implement you know help for climate change. So um, the a lot of I think the partisan divide here goes along how exactly he's going to do it. He didn't make that clear in his inauguration speech, but a lot of the divide lies along. Are you going to do this through regulation, through heavy taxes, and through burdening corporations and businesses in order to get this done? Or are you going to do this through the government investing and corporations investing in infrastructure into the United States in order to be able to actually create new jobs that would be within the green energy sector while not destroying the jobs that are currently within our energy sector right now, right? And that's where I think a lot of the political divide kind of comes from on that. Joe Biden didn't get into it uh, in, the, in, the, in terms of like tactically or specifically what he wanted to do. So we're going to have to see how that plays out. But it was definitely a large talking point that Joe Biden had within his inaugural address. So we'll have to see kind of what how that plays out within the first hundred days or so of his office. So now uh, the third big thing was the coronavirus. So he correctly stated that more people have died from COVID in the United States than all of the United States casualties within World War II. That is absolutely startling. Okay, and even worse than that is that there are people out there that are still saying this is not as big of a problem as the media is making it out to be, or simply that it just isn't real, right? Coronavirus is a hoax. It's fake. It's made up by the fake news media. None of it's real. It is very much real, and people are very much dying from it, and it's still absolutely ravaging the country right now. 400,000 deaths is a lot of people. Coronavirus is now one of the leading causes of death in the United States within 2020 and 2021. One of the leading causes. Like, that is so, that's startling, right? That's startling. So, 
things have continued to get worse, and the current vaccine rollout is just absolutely abysmal, to say the least. Like, I think that is a nice way of putting it. There were promised to be over 20 million vaccines rolled out by the end of December. There were 4 million rolled out by the end of December. Right now, vaccines, of course, are being distributed, but not nearly at the rate that Donald Trump had promised and his administration had promised. And at this point, I think that a lot of people are starting to look around and being like, was that purpose? Like, what's why? why? What is going on right now? Why? Why? Why are vaccines not getting into the hands of people the way that they need to? There's also a credible, incredible amount of misinformation going around, you know, saying a whole bunch of stuff about how the coronavirus vaccine is killing people or is doing all this terrible stuff. Unbelievable. So um, Biden has not laid out exactly what he is going to do in order to be able to fix it. But in his inaugural address, he made it very, very clear that this was going to be one of the primary focuses of the first hundred days of his presidency. Right. And, and what we talked about a little bit on Wednesday, he basically has a 10 day executive action plan. Uh, I think he's wanting to get in and basically uh, create an entire task force similar to the one Donald Trump had that basically is like solely there to be able to help and work with the vaccine rollout. Um, and I, you know, at the end of the day, I really, really hope and pray that he is actually able to get the vaccine rolled out properly. And he's able to get things moving and shaking in the way that needs to be done because in our current state, it is just absolutely awful. So, um, we are currently over a year into the coronavirus. There are still businesses that are shut down. There are still people that are going to the hospital over all this. Obviously, you don't expect it all to go away immediately, but I think in hindsight, all of us can look back on 2020 and say things could have been carried out and done in an incredibly different way that would have made the situation that we're in right now much less difficult to be dealing with. So Biden did not blame Trump for anything. He didn't point fingers at anybody, or at least any that I was able to see. Um, He simply stated that it was a problem that needed to be fixed, and it was something that he was going to attack, I mean, forthwith as soon as he steps into the White House and has that pen in his hand. So I don't know. Not, we, he could get in there and absolutely nothing gets better and he drops the ball on it. We have absolutely no idea. I really hope for our country's sake that that's not what happens, um, but we will just have to wait and see. So the last thing that he talked about was racial reconciliation. So whether people want to admit it or not, white supremacy is on the rise. If you look up uh, the, the entirety of the statistics in the United States for terrorist attacks and domestic terrorist attacks that happen within the United States every single year, the number one cause of terrorist attacks within the United States is not uh, is not Muslim terrorist attacks. Uh, it's not Antifa terrorist attacks. It is alt-right and white supremacist terrorist attacks that have been happening in the United States. And it's been that way for the past two or three years. Yes, we have made great progress in racial reconciliation over the past 60, 100, and of course, 400 years. Absolutely hear that. And I can hear my friends on the right side of the aisle right now Yes, we have improved since the days of Jim Crow. Of course we have. We now have a sitting vice president who is a minority woman. Fantastic. That's awesome. Um, And yes, I hear the right side of the aisle when they say that it is just simply not true that there are white police officers running rampant in the street and just shooting unarmed black men all the time. I totally hear that. That is totally fair, okay? But with the amount of people at the Capitol a few weeks ago holding Nazi and Confederate flags right beside hold, right beside Trump flags and don't tread on me flags should be upsetting and startling to say the least, right? 
How many pictures did we see from just that one day after a Trump rally that people left a Trump rally to go to the Capitol and riot with shirts that said stuff like uh, 6MWE on the front, which means 6 million wasn't enough referring to the 6 million Jews that were killed in the Holocaust. Or, uh, I mean, people with all types of just terrible memorabilia and stuff like that. And none of those people are there carrying a Confederate flag because they're, you know, proud of their Southern roots, right? They're carrying a Confederate flag because it's the battle flag of the KKK, right? Like, everybody knows that's why they're carrying those Confederate flags. So, um uh, of course, white supremacy has been on the rise. And I think that it was uh, very, and Joe Biden thought it very, very important to basically say this is something that we're going to stop and we're something we're going to attack immediately when I'm in office. Overall, I do think that that is a good thing. Of course, there can be problems of politicians pandering to minorities and wanting to stoke flames of racial strife that's happening. But it, I really did not get the sense that that's what Joe Biden was going for. Um, It really didn't seem like he was trying to stand up there and say, all white people are racist, all white people are bigots, all Trump supporters are racist and bigots, right? Like, that's that's not what Joe Biden was going for. I think that overall, what the air of what he seemed to be saying was like, this is a problem that we still have in this country, and we can work together in order to be able to stop it. We have made great progress, and we will continue to make great progress. And hopefully we will be able to look back on these days and be like, you know what? Those days were difficult, but we were able to openly denounce white supremacy. And, you know, it's now somewhat a thing of a past. And listen, I'm not naive enough to think that racial racism will ever go away. Of course it won't. As long as there are different races and people that are different than one another, there are going to be people that are hateful. Just going to happen. But I do think that there's room to grow in our country, and I hope that we're able to do it. So... With all of that having been said, that is the end of our first and only story of the day here on Split the Difference Podcast. Let's hop on into our last segment, something that made me smile. So something that made me smile this week, honestly, interestingly enough, was uh, a TikTok. It was kind of like a video or whatever that my wife showed me earlier this week. And I think it was maybe kind of spurred on by the inauguration and kind of a lot of the stuff that's been happening this week. And it was all this little TikTok trend and videos of uh, people looking back on uh, times in America uh, where the country was incredibly unified and solid and patriotic, and it was just a really beautiful thing. And one of the videos that somebody put out was actually around the first ever football game um, that was played, NFL football game, that was played after 9-11. And it was honestly really moving. Um, there was everybody there with their American flags. You know, there were people there um singing the national anthem and singing patriotic songs. And it was a really beautiful thing. And I hope and earnestly desire that that is what we get back to as a country. There's nothing wrong with being patriotic. There's nothing wrong with loving and appreciating the country that you live in. And I hope that more people feel more inclined to be patriotic and enjoy the country that they live in and, you know, help to push towards a better America for tomorrow. So, All of that having been said, that is the end of our show today. Thank you for stopping in and checking us out. As always, look me up on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, my website, splitthedifference.com. Check me out and drop me a like, a heart, a subscribe, five-star review, all of that good stuff. Share me around with your friends because all of those things go an incredibly long way in helping this podcast grow and, you know, giving me good feedback and letting me know what y'all like and don't like. So, 
Thank you so much for listening in and stopping in with us. Remember, as always, y'all, we're going to do our best to stay level-headed. We're going to do our best to be reasonable. And, of course, we're going to split the difference. This is Austin Taylor.